Welcome to the Abstract Doctors Podcast. Today, Dr. G and Dr. C speak with PhD, former All-Ivy Harvard football player, former WWE professional wrestler, neuroscientist, and co-founder and CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, Chris Nowinski. For more information on Chris, please visit concussionfoundation.org. Visit the Abstract Doctors for information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors Podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind and say ah. Welcome to the Abstract Doctors. Today's guest is Chris Nowinski, PhD, co-founder and CEO of Concussion Legacy Foundation, co-founder, outreach, recruiting, and education leader for Boston University CTE Center, also former NFL uh, football player and captain. Captain, oh, that's that's uh, the false that's, information. That's and I false. was also not captain at Harvard football. That was made up by WWE for my character. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I didn't. I didn't I'll, play. I was all Ivy, but I was not captain. He's actually five foot five, one forty. I've met him. In <laughs> was your was your today, was your though, yeah. professional was your professional. Uh, title, Captain Harvard? No, 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 no. So I, I came in during the real name years. So Randy Orton, John Cena, Brock Lesnar were all my contemporaries as rookies. Okay. Uh, but the people knew me as Chris Harvard from uh, Tough Enough Reality Television Show on MTV. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, Ron Johnson, you can edit away. And uh, great to have you, uh, Dr. Nowinski, and former uh, professional wrestler. Um, and, and, uh, my understand, uh, D, uh, Dr. C and, uh, you are, are friends and have a relationship, uh, going back. Yeah. Chris is actually the only person in the world of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, whatever it is, who actually has the disease and is studying it. <laughs> he got his PhD after his head was banged to hell and his body as well. And I'm teasing, of course, Chris doesn't have CT, but, but 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 he certainly is on the front lines, and uh, that, that's that's where we met. I mean, you know, obviously I'm part of the 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 consortium that works with Boston University, Boston DA, you know, and 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 Chris has has always been a key part of that. And uh, we had a we had a an awesome beer outside in Boston, and kind of hang. And I think you still owe me another one. And then the world life struck, and whatever it is. But now Chris is coming to us from Florida. Uh, and he's going to share with us what, what he's been up to in terms of the, the, the Legacy Foundation and all this great work, or, or not. We can talk about anything, Chris, but, <laughs> uh, but I certainly want to hear what you've been up to and, and all the great things you've been doing. Uh, and congrats. I don't know if you were, maybe you were just a doctor last time I met you. You had maybe yeah, 2017 was, yeah. was when yeah. I got the degree. I started late. Yeah, you're, it's all right. I mean, you're on the verge. Yeah. I like that. No, that's cool. So, so, so tell us what you've been up to, and then we'll, uh, then we'll just kind of talk, man. Yeah, yeah. So for for brief history, uh, for those that don't know me, so I got hurt in 2003 with WWE, uh, ended up digging into the science behind my concussion because I wasn't getting better and I wasn't getting good answers and realized that how we handled concussions was really backwards back in 2003 based on the literature we already had. And so I wrote a book called Head Games Football's Concussion Crisis that Dr. Robert Cantu sort of helped guide me uh, through the literature on that saying that we need to change sports and then fell into the CT work just because I happened to be doing the, the, the book when 
Dr. Benadamalu on those first two cases, not without players, which I found to be fascinating as a football player, but but no one really did. It was not a news article anywhere about this. No one was talking about it. And so to start to try to, you know, I guess once I wrote the book, of course, nobody read it because who's going to read a, a book on neuroscience written by a pro wrestler. So I was like, I still had this idea that we can change sports. And so uh, I, I realized CT would be the best way to do that because it, you could get these images of brain damage that you can't get with concussions. Concussion, you can't image in the same way. And so it started with me reaching out to Andre Waters' family back in 2006 um, when he died by suicide. And I found a quote of him saying he stopped counting his concussions at 15. And I ended up having to reach out to his family and got his brain studied and realized that was the path forward. So started the foundation, partnered with Boston University and the VA, Dr. Ann McKee. We're about to cross over a thousand brains donated to the brain bank, uh, which is exciting. So, um, yeah. for, folks, for folks listening who don't know what your, well, you know, what, 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 what you, the, the foundation and what your specific strength and expertise are. I mean, I, I know we've talked about it, et cetera, but, but, you know, so you said you, you got, you got Andre Waters brain slash family to agree to donate his brain. I mean, talk to, to talk to us and tell us about just what your unique role in that space is and, and just how you've contributed to that thousand brains, which is truly phenomenal. No, thank you. Um, yeah, so so what I brought to the table back then was uh, um, I was I was willing to make those calls that are you know can be very uncomfortable and are very intimidating. And I when I when I met Dr. McKay, I said, look, I, I've been able to get some brains, but you know I really want to I want scientists to be able to do the best they can with them. And so she was willing to take on this challenge of this disease that we now, you know, she ended up writing a review paper. There were fewer than 45 cases of CT confirmed in the literature back in 2009 when we started. And uh, so I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to get brains. And so for the first few years, I spent most of my time reading obituaries every day. I still have, even though I don't do it as much anymore, I still, my Google alerts, I read them in the morning to see who might have passed away. And I start making phone calls. And luckily, families have been incredibly supportive of this work. Um, so, you know, if I get them on the phone, most of the time they say yes. But it's it's a challenge to do it within about a forty-eight hour uh, interval when you can actually get the brain. So, so that was that was what I did that no one had ever done before. No one had actively sought out these cases. Um, the 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 first two cases from Amalu, he was a medical examiner in the county in which they died. And we weren't going to get answers quickly that way. So the whole idea was we need the tissue to figure out what's really happening here. And I don't think we anticipated what we would find in terms of the really high rate of CT that we've seen in NFL and college football players. But um, it's been incredibly rewarding. Now I spend less time calling families because we also set up basically a uh, an outreach program for the entire country, now the world on, you know, we need brains from athletes and veterans to better understand this disease. And so we've had famous people pledging their brain for the last 15 years. And now 90% of our brains come in from families calling us. The brain donation line gets multiple calls per day. Um, we actually have been getting uh, more than one out of three brains from NFL families in the last four years. So that you know. insane. for people on the listening, that's an insane number that the, the conversion rate. I mean, just for autopsies, that, that that's an off the hook number. You know, I mean, it, it hovers around 10 percent 
if you're lucky, you know, just to get autopsies after sudden deaths or after, you know, questionable deaths, you know, for, for when there's, then there's clearly reasons to be doing it for the family. It just is obviously, you know, this culture, particular American culture is just not about the death experience and certainly yeah. not about death. And as you talked about, you know, when it comes to brains, if you're not getting them within 48 hours in the right condition to the right place, you, you, you're, you're, you're wasting your time. You're not going to get the right type of quote tissue. So, I mean, you know, don't, I mean, you never do, but I, I wouldn't sell yourself short in terms of what okay. obviously, obviously you guys know that, you know, not obviously the research is critical, but also I can't, you know, these families, these spouses that, that, that marry someone and then watch them change and, I think the the validation and and the the answering so many questions is really important for the, the spouses and children. Um, there's 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 a lot of uh, positive uh, ramifications. Yeah, yeah, well, that, yeah. That, that's a great point. So because we 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 talk about the science and uh, you know the hundred publications that have come in terms of we now have an agreed upon preliminary diagnostic criteria and where. Uh, Dr. McKee just published a great uh, study validating the four-stage system that she put together. Um, but the family experience is really the other part of our work. So while we're supporting this research, we're doing this outreach, we're also really ramping up what uh, trying to educate families on how to live with this disease, right? Because it is very difficult. Uh, we actually just partnered with an academic group in the UK uh, led by Adam White, who have primarily a social science background, and they've, they've been interviewing our family members and the experience of spouses, the experiences of children of former athletes with CT is, it will, will rattle your cage, right? You imagine dad's, you know, big athletic, tough guy and in his fifties and sixties starts getting angry and impulsive and maybe drinking, maybe violence, who knows? Tearful. Um, yeah. So, so we're trying to understand what that experience is so we can support these families better. And, uh, yeah. Something that's particularly timely is I just was reading yesterday that, uh, uh, a, a big not-for-profit, Us Against Alzheimer's, just got a nice grant uh, concerning health disparities and uh, dementia. And clearly, the, 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 the individuals that you're dealing with are going to have a large percentage of minorities in them. They're not going to have women in them, but there's going to be uh, certainly men you know, from minorities, a lot of African-Americans. So that's certainly an added value that you're bringing. I mean, you know, this is a plague or pandemic that's affecting a, you know, the minority, you know, unrepresented minorities yet again, you know, and, and, and right. I think, uh, it hasn't been written a lot, but, 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 you know, obviously there, there, there's a sampling issue, but still you're dealing with folks for, who are coming from backgrounds that are vitally important to healthcare professionals to understand and to give the families that kind of support. Uh, so Congress is aware of that. They, they just threw out some, uh, some dollars for it, but I think, you, you know, you guys actually have the data. Uh, surrounding that, because I'm going to guess of those thousand, a, a, more than half are probably from minorities. I don't know that, but I'm going to guess. Yeah, that. no, I'm happy to discuss that because I think it's it's an important topic. Um, and it, we 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 keep obviously all groups studying neurodegenerative disease keep that information very closely. So in our last study, uh, or we had 17% black uh, brain donors. And you know that's higher than the population of the U.S. And but we don't really know what that means. Uh, of our, the groups we're studying. Football today in the NFL is 70% black and college is becoming more than half black, but it hasn't always been that way. And so because the more, most of our brain donors are older, um, 70s, 80s dementia cases, back then it was pr primarily a white sport because of 
you know, systemic racism in some places and other reasons. So, um, so we know going forward, studying NFL in college, we have to be very cognizant of outreach to that, that, that part of the population to get a representative sample and to, and to play our role. But, um, but yeah, right now it's not that way. Yeah, just, just as an anecdote, we did study the uh, brain of Julius Whittier. He's the first Texas football, University of Texas football player who's black. And that wasn't until 1970. Wow. So um, before that, never had one. I mean, the, the thing is, the same risk factors that are putting minorities at risk in COVID, you know, ranging from everything from possibly genetics to certainly socioeconomic and, and lifestyle, et cetera, you know, are going to pervade the NFL. You know, yeah. and are going to pervade African Americans in the NFL. But I'm thinking NFL players may be even on the high end of lifestyle-related risk factors that are going to contribute to CTE. You know, we believe that the prime generator is the is the thousands of impacts, but there's still the secondary factors because we're working with the folks across the river. There isn't really a river though, but uh, at, at, from at, at Harvard, who are you know uh, Ross Safant and his team who are looking at these, these lifers and they're finding that cardiac risk factors are a big issue in their dementia population of the retirees. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I mean, those factors are all gonna come together. So, so the, the tidal wave of, of minority-based risk factors are gonna, are gonna eventually hit your, your, your group of folks, sadly. Right, and, and that's actually a good segue to uh, one of the things that we're really passionate about, I'd be curious your thoughts, which is um, prevention. Taking the information we have today, we don't have perfect information on CTE. We don't have treatments for CTE. We can't diagnose a living person, but we're all very confident that it's those head impacts that are primarily driving the disease. So what could we do about it? Maybe we should stop hitting children in the head. That's our big idea, right? Well, and uh, it, on paper, it's a good idea because right now we have over a million kids playing youth football you know, before they're even in high school. Right. Um, and when your brain's developing, you know, putting a four pound helmet on a 40 pound kid and asking them to run into other people is a bad idea, in my opinion, as someone who played. And so um, and it, we just did a, we did a piece last year with HBO Real Sports where they were looking at the shifting face of who was playing football. They didn't have good youth data because there is no good youth data. But at the high school level, um, uh, it was a, a tremendous shift. They were able to get records of high school players who were on school lunch programs because they were, were poor and it was shifting dramatically towards that. So people who are educated and have options are opting out. And now football is becoming uh, a sport where you, you, it's becoming increasingly more likely that you don't have other better options. And but so we will see the modern, the modern gladiator. Well, yeah. And in, in, in addition to trying to prevent the injuries, which Americans just aren't good at. I mean, we get excited about helmet, you know, for bicycles or airbags. Yep. Yeah, not so much. I mean, you know, the, yes, airbags are terrific, but it's a passive piece. You know, I think something that, that, that Ron can take us on, on, a, on a kind of uh, a, a flight is, you know, let's assume that we're going to do our best to reduce youth injuries. We're going to go to less contact. We're going to go to either fewer games. We're going to do something different. But let's assume that those injuries are going to occur, all right, at some level. Right. We still are doing not a, a less than optimal job of both awareness of diagnosing, but also managing the after effects and using the full armamentarium of care. And, you know, the thing that we like to focus on in this and these podcasts is using creativity and, you, and integrating it into, you know, things that are going to improve the brain. You know, yes, you can prevent the next injury. You can keep them out of play. 
But that that alone is far from the answer. How do we get that brain to be working fully just before the injury and right after it and ongoing? You know, and, and, and that's the area that we're, we don't want to lose the focus on because prevention is vital. But, you know, yeah, if if it, yeah, if I could offer uh, where the road could be going and for background for listeners, you know, the autonomic nervous system controls all the systems of your body and so forth. And, and it, when somebody gets a concussion, it's hard to get immediate images. It's hard to get immediate blood work. Uh, one way that we'll be able to convince a parent and maybe discern the difference between a mild brain injury that improves and that syndrome that's a constellation of so many symptoms that are troubling and difficult uh, he was sleeping and in the age of wearable technology. If you think about the wiring from the brain to the heart, uh, it's gonna be hard to take a picture, but you can monitor the communication with something called heart rate variability. And so now that wearable technology is moving forward and we're gonna have wearable technology on your wrist or your finger or your heart or whatever it is, we're going to be able to, to assess uh, kids or adults' uh, circadian rhythm. And so we'll be able to get that preseason. And people really don't, can't listen and understand until they see something visually. And so software is going to be a beautiful way to convince people, uh, look, the communication, we can't take a picture of it, but the communication between the heart and the brain uh, have been disrupted. And you see that you're not dipping into recovery at night when the brain is supposed to be growing. Johnny next door had the same uh, concussion, but his communication, his preseason communication, and now three days after the concussion have returned to normal. And your, your, your child uh, is still vulnerable because you see all this red stuff compared to all this green stuff uh, on the image here is a, is, is a, a representation of that communication and that dipping into deceleration and recovery and brain growth. And so now you ha can have some buy-in. And then the step further for me is that doing resonant breathing with the diaphragm, the, the underpinnings to, to, to meditation, if you do that 10 minutes at night after technology and before you go to bed, can cue that dipping, can cue that shift from red to green. And you're actually, I think, will be the fundamental step in rehabilitating after concussions with every single concussion. So I think preseason monitoring overnight, immediately after the concussion, before they go to bed that night, monitoring. And I think it's going to be one important return to play, return to work, return to duty, return to activity biomarker. Because one thing we know about that syndrome, that constellation of a dozen potential symptoms, that they all have disruption of that sleep-wake cycle, which can be measured with heart rate variability. And, and what's coming is this, is, and we're in the midst of, is this uh, explosion of uh, wearable technology tools and software. And COVID has just launched that even further. And so now we're going to have these massive longitudinal studies. So uh, we're, I don't think we're that... Ron, I would say we need less research at this point because I've seen the research across 
PTSD, across pain, even the stuff that's that's coming out in brain injury. And it's it's phenomenal. And, and the NBA has caught on to it. I don't know, Chris, if, if you're aware of all the heart rate variability work and, and the, the, the rings they're wearing and the wristband. I mean, it's solid stuff. It's reproducible. It's objective data. It's, it's the MRI that we've wanted for concussions and not just for concussion, but Pop, population health, yeah, really. uh, thousands of patients at a time uh, will be so much easier than doing a randomized controlled trial of a hundred people. It would just, yeah. Well, and, and also, also right now, Americans, kids are suffering from these injuries, whether they're caused by football or by a bike accident or for domestic abuse. These, these things are, are pervasive. Um, and, and the technology is already there and it's cheap, you know, it's proprietary in some space, but there's competitors, so it'll stay down. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the correlation with the things that researchers like, you know, whether it's neuropsychological testing or quest, symptom questionnaires or, or, or um, uh, uh, balanced data, all, all, all is there. I mean, it, it shows that when your HRV is in the right sync, is balanced, all right, um, th th is synchronous, then you are going to recover, you're going to do well. And when you're being creative, you're going to school, you're, you're you know, having fun, you're relaxed, the balance is gonna get even better. I mean, you know, Chris, I don't know if you're, if you're that aware of the HRV data, it's crazy good. And, and, and it, you know, the thing is, you know, People are fixated on looking at things. I mean, you know, 80% of what we take in is through our, you know, is, is through our eyes. So we got to look at an MRI scan, you know, like even an EEG, which is a terrible test. Rather than just understanding the, the parameters, we have to look at these weird waveforms, and that's how we read them. I'm like, yeah. you can, can I? That? Yeah. Can I tell a, a short case story, Chris? Sure. Uh, I learned, I learned from a young lady. She uh, was a cheerleader at a, at a small division one school. Uh, and she was thrown in the air, landed on her head, uh, unconscious for several minutes, post-traumatic amnesia, probably, you know, 30 or more minutes, uh, dropped out of school, living at home, gets, you know, dropped out of the system like so many concussions. Uh, and she's trying to get in the clinic. My clinic's overwhelmed. And I said, all right, well, I tell you what, have her come in, have my nurse put on this, this ECG monitor. We'll get three days of her monitoring. And what I learned from her on my very, very first visit, when I displayed this color-coded uh, three-day three, three uh, HRV recording, and I barely knew her, um, and I swear, I think I saved, we saved three months of potential treatment by her just looking at it. And I, I saw her looking at it and I left her alone for, you know, a few seconds. Um, and then we talked and then she came back in the next visit and she had made this life changing decision by, by looking at it. She was still, uh, in a community based cheerleading uh, she was no longer being the throwee. She was one of the spotters uh, and they had a big competition. And she saw how bad her numbers were. Uh, and she decided after this next competition, she was going to let cheerleading go. And, 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 and everyone letting go of their sport uh, is such a difficult moment. 
Um, but she did it because she could see it. And I barely knew her. There wasn't like hours and hours of counseling. Um, but in, can, in addition to learning to self-regulate with the breathing and the other things we did, uh, you know, within a few months, she was back in school and moved out. Um, but I think, it, I think when people's trajectories change, it's, it's not due to behavioral change. It's not due to some sort of elegant carrots and sticks. It's they made a decision. And I think this software with all that data behind it laid out for people, they can say, maybe my child can skip this important competition this weekend and we can let his brain heal, his or her brain heal for the next week or two. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, the value of objective data visually is incredible. And I think you're right that, um, you know, this this area with concussion is is dying for an objective biomarker. You know, we, we know the limits of cognitive testing. You know, cognition is both very robust uh, and, all, you know, when, even when you're injured, you can do well. It also you can control it to some measure and the test can't always tell when you're cheating. Um, yeah, the, the balance stuff, it's not always there. But heart rate, you can't fake. You know, and and um, so that, that's not when you're asleep. <laughs> no, not when you're exactly not when you're asleep. And you know, and 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 the more research we do in sleep on this, I mean, the more we know that sleep is dramatically affected. We we just had a paper accepted looking at sleep of our CT patients, and it, the, the the findings are pretty shocking in terms of what's correlating and how things are going wrong for people. So yeah, no, it's it's a very exciting area of work, and I haven't seen all the research, so please do send some of it because. That digital side is a lot of interest of a lot of folks, including my PhD mentor, Rhoda O at BU. I love Rhoda O. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> she's, 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 Miss, she's Miss Biometric. I'm, I'm sure she, and actually, she is very aware of H, heart rate variability. I've talked to, to her about it. But, 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 but actually, can you tell us a little bit more about um, I mean, how your foundation, how what you do is kind of working with folks who are still alive? You know, because mm. I know you know you're, you're you you really are famous in our world for what that's worth for being the person that can approach the families and really you know take them from a point of of grief and holding on to you know acceptance and grief and letting go and really letting us use their loved ones you know death for a great purpose. But, but I know now now you've kind of kind of shifted beyond that to 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 kind of say let's get these folks engage and let's help them while they're still alive and let's get more information on that. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've truly created a paradigm shift. I mean, you said you had, you don't have to go out and seek it as much anymore. And that's a sign that you've have a true paradigm shift that, that they're coming to you, but go right ahead. Yeah, no, I know brain, brain donation was not a thing for athletes, you know, before we started this. And just as a side note, interestingly, we've been able to replicate this in other countries now. So we uh, helped create the Australian Sports Brain Bank. We identified the first cases in their sports. Um, we just started one in New Zealand. We have one a partner at University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. So it's fascinating to watch this be exported. We'll have a few more over the next year. But regarding living patients, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. So at the beginning of this, we were all, including me, in denial that we were at risk for this. And we thought it was just a handful of, of people who led with their head and all these other things. And now we realize it's widespread. And so we have so many more families coming to us uh, asking for help. And, and how do I live with this? And then there we, you, you roll in the fact that a lot of the early cases that came into the brain bank were suicide cases, right? Which is a scary you know, proposition of, you know, what is the relationship between head trauma and suicide? 
and CT and suicide. There's a lot of literature on concussion and suicide. There's almost none on CT and suicide. But, um, but we want to get that message out that you can still live a productive life with this. You know, it, it might win eventually, but when you're my age, you're 40 years old, um, you know, you can, um, you know, or 41, you can, you can win this thing. And so what we do, we, we do a lot of recruiting for clinical studies. So, you know, whether it's uh, the legend study that we just shut down because we're transitioning it at BU, which was about 800 people doing annual calls. We're recruiting now for Johns Hopkins, former NFL players looking at long-term inflammation with Jennifer Coughlin. We're going to be recruiting a lot for BU and UCSF on some new imaging studies. So there's that, there's that whole like, hey, all of us have been hitting the head too much. We got to participate in research if we want to truly have answers for us or the people who come behind us. Uh, and then the other side is that, that education support. We just started a helpline last year for people with individual problems. This week, I'm dealing with two sort of midlife NFL families uh, that I'm personally helping because I have relationships existing with both where one, you know, is a former player in his 40s who, who has developed an alcohol abuse issue that he can't kick. One is uh, a family where the, um, the wife is recognizing what's happening, but has not had that conversation yet. And all the things that happen with having to retire early. Um, so we, we've been working a lot with Mike Adamley. You know, remember that guy? He was uh, I first saw him as the host of American Gladiators, Monday Night Football guy. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah. 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 Play, played the NFL. You know, was basically uh, a, a special teams you know guy. And then he did sports casting in Chicago, where I grew up forever. So you know he. Has has basically been told almost certainly FCT based on his findings, imaging, but he's been trying to show this face of I'm not I'm going to be the guy who doesn't let CT beat me. I'm not going to take my life. I'm going to live my best life. And so we've been working with him to sort of share hope by showing all the things that he's doing in his life, whether it's ballroom dancing with his wife and uh, you know the he's an exercise. He's lunatic. being creative. Yes, he's being creative. Yeah, and all these things to try to live your best life with it. So we don't want, you know, it's like when we talk about prevention of CT, I want to highlight the misery because I want you to take this stuff seriously. But when we're talking about actually living with it, we want to highlight the hope. And that's a tough message to, to thread the needle on depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, well, well I, mean, I mean, from a challenge standpoint, I mean, that's the next level, at least – at least they weren't talking back in the first phase of your career. You had to deal with the families, but the NFLers are like, okay, you've, you know, you, you know, you, you've, you've, you've done your thing. We're going to get your family. Now getting these hard headed, literally folks to kind of realize that, you know, this isn't just about their families. Now it's about them. How do, how do you take them and, 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 you know, and maximize everything they've got because it isn't a death sentence. Everything's a death sentence, right? You know, I mean, life, life is a death sentence, right? <laughs> but how do you take that space that you have and fill it up with all the amazing things that life has to offer, you know, right. and, and, and work can be one of those, but there's so many things that people are just biding their time for the next thing. I mean, for the, you know, for the other shooter drop proverbial, and that's just, you know, just, just that's, that's not a winning attitude. So that's, a, that's a challenge. And I'd love to hear, you know, how you're using actually virtual health right now, virtual, you know, connections, because that's the space that we're in. And realistically, with what you do, you're not going to one on one these people face to face. They're all over the country. So I'd love to kind of, you know, hear are you using and, and getting back this heart rate variability can easily be done virtually. And it's 
you know, it's a perfect medium for that. And, you know, as are, as are more traditional psychological interventions, et cetera. But lo love to hear, you know, what, what challenges you're facing. But also you may be ahead of the curve too, because you've been working virtually with these people around the U.S. for now you're, you know, you're in Aussie land and, you know, and yeah. in South America, that's cool. So you know, what, 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 are you, what are you, what, what are you using? How are you doing it? A little bit of everything. Well, yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. So, uh, you, I mean, there isn't a whole lot going on with us with the virtual research part, just because most research, most clinical research has been sort of shut down, but, you know, in terms of the education and hope and spreading awareness, we, we actually, this year, when everything shut down, we, we started running weekly webinars with our experts and with families and with caregivers and trying to sort of give people of, this is what we know today. The problem is, again, we haven't done the work to provide great answers, right? We, we want to promote brain health, but we don't have much beyond, you know, exercise, diet, rest, uh, and proper medical care for your issues, right? I mean, I don't know. I'd love to hear what, you, what, you're, what you're promoting and you're thinking about, but we're, we're just trying to give people the tools through which to try to live that best life. And it is primarily to try to educate them and to try to share stories and share experiences and, and pull these experiences together into eventual studies so we can say, these are things that will help you, these are things that will hurt you. Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, and I didn't mention, you know, alcohol and drug abuse, right? Abstaining from that has become a huge talking point based on what we keep seeing with people's lives. So maybe this, this could help you. Um, what I do, I reframe the conversation with my patients. Um, if, if alcohol is the issue, you know, first of all, I can send you an article of 4,000 workers in Finland wore HRV monitors overnight. And it shows that the difference between your dipping into recovery, whether you have one drink, two drinks or three drinks, and it's yeah. dose related. So what I'm doing with that is I'll first restate and say, you're coming to me as a brain health expert. You're, ne you're never going to hear me talk about right and wrong. There are other experts to talk to you about good, bad, positive, negative. And so you'll net, I, I create a trusting environment where I tell them you'll never be judged. And what I'm trying to do is it's a more difficult decision to abstain when you're trying harder to do the right thing morally or for other people. It's, it, it, it drives your HRV down actually. Um, and, and, and people fail trying harder. And so I'm trying to reframe it. We're, we're working towards what? We're toward working towards health. And when you can show them again, this visual display of your overnight HRV and you link it up to brain health, suddenly you can start to have a conversation where they're thinking the night before, you know, uh, maybe I'll go from three to two. Uh, because I know that's going to change the numbers overnight. And then suddenly, if they feel the difference the next day, they start making the connection between feeling better, being healthy, moving towards health. And secondarily, it's going to be compatible with your morals and values and the people who counsel you on Fridays, Saturdays, or Sundays. Um, and then obviously your relate, which helps you improve your relationships instead of trying harder to improve your relationship. I'm going to stop drinking. Let's focus in on just getting these numbers a little bit better at night, uh, for health. And, and, and when I strictly just stay on message, this is about health and not right. You know, 
do you not care? Do you, you should care more. Well, I do care. Yeah. And then they get locked into that. Yeah, the power of immediate feedback is incredible. I mean, we, we tried a similar thing when the sensors came out for helmets and, you know, we tried to convince people hit less, hit less. Well, the power of actually a coach getting the numbers from their team after practice of my team just took 500 headshots this practice and they averaged 20 apiece. Like, well, I could probably do that better and get that down. But that hasn't been embraced because I think people don't want records of abusing people's brains. Um, well, but 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 it's powerful, you know. And, and, yeah. and more visual and and really simple and to the point. Like you know, I hate to say this, even if we need to amp up what it's saying, you know, fake it a little bit, just so folks will understand, you are in the green zone. What you're doing is green. If, if that's the, let's assume that's the loving. Let's color. not use the word fake. Let's use the word distill into a visual. <laughs> codify, codify. Yeah, modify. Right. And I'm like. <laughs> Get them in the green, right? Because yeah. people want, you know, and and then they will actually recognize they're feeling better because it right. isn't just numbers. It isn't just you know Ron Garbo uh, saying HRV is good. It actually translates into feeling well. Maybe, maybe not after the first night's sleep. Although many people do find that, you know, it's like, like you know, you know, it's like give me a week and I'll take the weight off, whatever that gimmick is. That's yeah. Yeah, it's just you know, I, you had asked before, what are what are we doing? What are people doing? Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, if, if you're not aware, a, a recent update just came out two weeks ago in the Lancet on the twelve. I'll send it to you if, if you like, Chris. On sure. the twelve factors that have been documented and can be modified for the most part for dementia. dementia yeah, right? I saw that. Yeah, be nine, and they added three. One of them they added was TBI. All right, so it finally broke through. It was actually yeah. research out of our group, the Limbic group, out of uh, Christine Yaffe. You may work with Christine as well. Yeah, great work. Yeah, yeah. So they finally recognized it. But so there are there are factors that contribute to up to 40% or two out of five people with dementia, let's just say, um, uh, if we modify this fact, these factors, they will either delay when they get it, it won't be as severe, right? Or they won't get it at all. That's really right. powerful, right? You know, there aren't treatments in there. They're more preventatives, all right? So what I would, you know, say is that the only reason we need to do more studies so that the treatment that Ron is talking about, which really is not a singular treatment. Yes, yes, it does. It can be simplified. And here's how you can enhance or increase your HRV. But there are so many other factors that are going to go into that and keep bringing back. If you actually are having fun and relaxing and enjoying and meditating and walking and, and, and appreciating life through a, whatever creativity and joy you do, you are going to more easily be able to do these breathing exercises. Because if you hate life or you're not feeling good or you're angry at your spouse, like sitting there and deep breathing sounds good. And in every movie, they go from like hating each other, they're counting to 10 and all of a sudden they're better. That just isn't life, you know, but if we can get the, your, your, your whole world into a better space to begin with, or one that's more creative, more gleeful, then when you're doing these structured exercises, and if people like the term meditation, and that's fine, or if they like yoga, hot, cold, warm, you know, whatever is three yeah. yoga, it's fine. But, but the idea is you are, you're getting consonants or synchrony between your autonomic nervous system, and it works. You know, but we do, I do, we are going to have to do the science and, and we're actually 
got a couple of grants we're putting together related to this as part of our team that Ron's helping us with, because then we can get into this publication. When Lancet does it again in three years, you know, we can say, here's what to abstain from, if that's possible. You know, one of the, one of the factors, as you may know, is early life education. I'm like, well, by the time I'm 50, I'm either educated or not, but you probably can still enrich your brain with further education. Probably there is an intervention there, but we really need interventions that aren't, you know, aren't, aren't going to make them turn on their head. You know, it's like, you don't need surgery on your neck. You don't need a brain transplant. You don't have to like, you know, you know, yeah, like, you know, take these pills for the next 40 years, which is what the drug companies want. Like, they're like, well, Alzheimer's is an 80-year disease that starts when you're 29 or 18. Take this pill at increasing doses for the next 50 years. Yeah, I'm like, like, I don't think that's a that's a reasonable approach, although it might actually make a difference. I think we can do better than that. So, so, but, 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 but that new study gives us further hope that things that we think make a difference do. Right. And, and when you've done those things in the way Ron has just talked about, not in a judgmental way, you're like, I'm seeing a positive response. I'm feeling better. I'm appreciating it. You know, you're going to start once you've done those 12 things or 10 or six, whatever it is, then we can talk about doing more challenging interventions. And, and I would advocate that HRV is a good first one. But but, you know, you know, folks are putting garbage into their brain and not sleeping well and still banging their heads and smoking and, do, you know, not exercising. And then they want some silver bullet. I'm like, well, that's probably a bad term to use in this phraseology. Uh, they want some sort of miracle cure. I'm like miracles happen when you set it up, you know, and, and yeah. then that, that, that next 3% that can be added will actually take effect when you set them up for the 40% or 50%, you know, so one so, creative day at a time, right? Hey man, oh, this is where I'm, I'm, my brain's work getting creative right now, man. My lymphatic <laughs> system is cleaning that towel out. Like you wouldn't believe. All right. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, hey, Chris, are there things that you personally are doing because of, you, of what you consider your risks that, that you, you've changed your life other than uh, living in a lovely place with your, with support of your family, which is one of the factors? Are there things yeah. that, that you've taken on? You know, I haven't done a whole lot. Um, I, you know, like I'm a former lineman who got too heavy and I, I, there's no need for me to be 280 today, but I still am like, that's probably my number one thing I could probably fix. And I think Florida is going to help that. I, I just got to, uh, you know, the second baby thing is getting to me. Um, and, and I do, I do pay far more attention to alcohol now. Uh, and I've, I've dropped that because that's a real risk factor. So, um, but, but beyond that, I'm not taking... Go ahead. Last time we were together in 2017, you weren't paying attention to that. Now, no, that no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I will add, though, um, there's great data for uh, health and a life of purpose. And, and, and you clearly nailed that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. And I, the fact that I'm constantly learning through my job and like, I'm, yeah, I'm constantly stimulated there. And then the, the big one is probably sleep. I slept like hell for 15 years. I developed REM behavior disorder after my last concussion. And was on pills for that forever, and um, and you know the, I've been sleeping the best over the last six months. I actually I'm trying something off label that's working, uh, so it's not worth bringing up. But but I'm just pleased to have nine hours of sleep a night where I'm not up every hour. Um, and that's been a life changer for me. Good for you. That's cool. Yeah. Well, 
it's important we keep you around for a long time, Chris. I think you're really, you do, I don't even think you've hit your stride yet. I hit my stride. <laughs> hit your stride yet. I'm excited. Well, I appreciate that. Well, tell, tell me where the other half is basically hitting our stride is, is, is trying to take what we've accomplished in the sports realm, um, you know, specifically in football, because the other sports are lagging, but the, the data on rugby and soccer is all coming, but is, in, is on the military side, right? So, you know, you've been leading that for a long time. And we've been recognizing, you know, I think we've all been recognizing that there's so many, so, so many heterogeneous experiences in the military with TBI, with blast, with exposure. But it, it the work has clearly shown, it, you know, the, that that exposure can take your brain in a lot of different directions. But one thing that I, I don't think we have is the same volume of brain studies that we've had with athletes. And so, you know, we started a program called Project Enlist. Uh, about two years ago that we're about to really ramp up, which is to create that same culture of brain donation among military veterans as we have among football players. And with the goal of, you know, when we, the more brains we have, the more, the more scientists like you are able to learn. And that's, that's an easy flywheel acceleration system. So, you know, I'd love to hear more about like where, where the research is, where the new program is going and limbic and all that. Because obviously we need to collaborate more. Yeah, well, I, I would say certainly you had me at hello, but but <laughs> you know, I, let, let's go in and let's get let's get a grant together. I mean, there's plenty of, of federal and foundational dollars so that we, we could take project and list from an amazing idea and probably great infrastructure you know, in, into our real world because you know we've got you know with our with our new uh, long-term impact of military relevant brain injury consortium Limbic. I, I finally figured out what it stands for. No, but but with Limbic, you know, we've got. Uh, Two million veterans and service members um, across the U.S., unique veteran service members that are part of our massive electronic virtual database where we have every military healthcare record, disability record, pharmacy record. We had all these data, uh, and, th and that's where the, the, the recent Lancet uh, um, supplement, that's where that data came from. You know, that's a massive uh, a, a mega database that, uh, yeah. that, that, that the folks at UCSF and and folks in Utah and the folks in Palo Alto are working on it together. Uh, in addition, we've got we, we're targeted to get 3,000 uh, individuals who are actively going to be followed for life, um, all who have had uh, 80 excuse me, 80 percent of whom have had one or more, typically four plus uh, combat concussions. 20 percent who were in combat, in active duty service, but but never had a concussion in their entire life, which is almost as hard to find as a unicorn. But but right now we've got <laughs> We've got just under 1,600 that we're tracking now for over four years, uh, and, and many of them had their injuries 15, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and, 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 you know, we anticipate getting to 3,000 the next year and a half, assuming COVID lets us start to recruit again. You know, we've yeah. got 16 recruitment sites, including seven military bases and the rest are VA sites. And we're 11 testing sites in, in you know, distributed geographically across the U.S. We can fly people in for testing. Um, uh, about 80% of the testing is done virtually anyway. It's done by a phone. We need to bring them in to get some of their, their, their biofluids, get their imaging, get their electronic, electrophys data. But otherwise, we can get a ton of data virtually. And we're going to not only use this cohort to follow and just see how do they do, and we're tracking what care they're getting, but it's all over the map, but use them to actually implement real research. So randomized controlled trials, whether it's using heart rate variability, whether it's using the pharma pharmaceutical of the month, whether it's using 
a, a cognitive behavioral therapy, exercise, whatever. We've got a series of, of projects that we're, we're ready to enroll. Again, COVID slowed us down, but regardless. But right now, again, we've got just under 1,600 that have not only enrolled and we've got data on, but are already following up. We've got at least a year or more data on all of them. And Chris, we'd love to get all of them logged into your into your latest and greatest. You know, happy to have them link on and volunteer because they're the best spokespeople. You know, yeah. I mean, we've always found the best way to get service members and veterans engaged is to talk about mission, but also to talk about their brothers and sisters who are coming right. after them and who need their support and love and help. And so, and you know that as well as I do. But but that's a that's a key and. You know, again, you, you, you're you're as good as a partner in, in my in my eyes, right? If you want to be part of it, you're in. All right, we want to get uh, these folks in there because you know they're not athletes, they're not military athletes. But let's not let's not you know blur that line. They are a unique subset with unique risks yeah. that that can teach us about how athletes do and how civilians do. But what we want to learn is how do combatants do and how do veterans do to supplement it because it's all going to overlap, but, but there's plenty of space to really be expanding this, you know, and, and the blurring of lines kind of, it can be challenging for folks in terms of, well, that was a sports hit or they have different psychological pressures in the military versus in, in, in athletics, or are they civilians? A unifying feature will be giving them good brain health after their injuries and hopefully before, but certainly after is going to help the brain. Because while yeah. the brain does respond differently to different traumas and, you know, and quote, impacts, you know, recovery. Oh, we got a kid coming in? Now we're talking about <laughs> yeah, she wants to make her appearance, I guess. looking brain. Is that, is that Captain America? Oh, w- this, this is Wonder Woman. Kenzie Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. WWE. All right, there she is. Now, that's a healthy brain right there. That's the only yeah. healthy brain on, on this on this spot. <laughs> You want to say you want to, you want to introduce your rabbit to us? Want to say hi? Are you going to be shy? Who's this? Who's this? Bunny. <laughs> Don't shake that head too much. Be careful with that rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll leave her around because she'll probably boost ratings. But um, no, I think everything you said is right, and it is truly fascinating. The the passion. Of, of the people who volunteered for your studies, like the people who pledged their brain, like the, the whole mission focus and doing it for their brothers, sisters, doing it for the country. Because, yeah, the, the veteran experience is more relatable to the average experience. Um, you know, because it just make, you make me realize, you know, the football experience of getting hit in the head 10,000 times is really rare. Right. But, th- but those of us have done it, it's a, it's a problem, but it's more the multiple concussions or different flat exposures. So, yeah, let's follow up offline. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, so all right, good. Chris, I know Brian's going to take us take us to the end, but 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 as always, man, it's great to see you. One of us owes the other a beer. I don't know. Next time I'm in Florida, I'll I'll definitely connect with you. We'll get together. Uh, but, do. but 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 I definitely want to uh, thank you for spending time with us. Thanks for what you continue to be doing. Your passion, um, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll stay in touch and stay LinkedIn. So, Ron, take us away, and then we'll give Chris the last word if he wants it. I'm good. Uh, thank you for, for doing your great work. I think, again, paradigm shift, and now you're scaling it. It's, it's, it's impressive, uh, the paradigm shift and the scaling you're doing. So thank you.
Well, I, I appreciate it, guys. It, it's great to connect to this. I appreciate you bringing heart rate variability into my world because it's going to be a big part of the next decade here. So I want to get in as early as I can. Um, but yeah, I look forward to future collaborations and I appreciate you guys putting this together and thank you. Thanks, Chris. All the best, my friend. All right. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye, Kenzie. Bye, Kenzie. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to Chris Nowinski for joining Dr. G and Dr. C today on the Abstract Doctors podcast. For more information on Chris, please visit concussionfoundation.org. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information on podcasts, events, and subscription boxes, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment when Dr. G and Dr. C speak with former U.S. national field hockey player, national championship coach of field hockey at Princeton, and vice president of performance for WHOOP, Kristen Holmes.